I'm excited about this word today. I hope you came ready to hear a word today because I have a word for us today. Hallelujah. We've been in a series of divine dreams. Today I want to talk to you about the valley of vision. The valley of vision. What is the valley of vision? It's that place of process. It's that place where you're being molded into the person you will one day become. The valley of vision is the place where you're between two worlds. You're, you're not where you used to be, but you haven't made it to the mountaintop yet. And it's in this valley of vision where God will show you things and he will attempt to teach you some lessons, but you have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to grow. And it's a very dangerous valley because in this valley, you can make some decisions that can cost you your destiny, can cost you your peace of mind. And oftentimes, while we're in the valley, we choose the shortcut. We don't want to pay the price to have what God said we would have and to be who God called us to be. People that take the shortcut, take the easy route in the valley, never make it to where God would have them to make it. Or if they do, they go through a difficult period of time that they would never have had to go through had they just stayed the course and not tried to take a shortcut. I'll never forget, as long as I live, a lesson about taking the shortcut that God taught me as a teenager. I played at Sighted Daisy High School, and as a sophomore, I was privileged to play on the greatest team in the history of Sighted Daisy High School. I lettered that year, was not a star by any stretch of the imagination. We were surrounded by D1 talent. I mean, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, the great Jarvis Smith, and Lydell Blue, and Chuck Losey, who's the strength coach at Penn State. I, surrounded by great players and had the privilege to letter on that great team by my friend, Coach Bill Price, who I'm still friends with to this day. After that wonderful season ended, we came up a game short of the state championship. I was penciled in as the starter for the next season, and I was excited to be heading into the spring as the starter. And uh, Coach Price back then was very old school. He got softer as the years went on, and he went to Signal Mountain. He became kind of a softy player's coach. But back when we had him, he was mean and young uh, and very driven. And in the offseason, he would have us run bleachers. And if you've ever been out to Saudi Daisy High School, you know these aren't metal bleachers. These bleachers are like this high per bleachers. So he would have us do agilities, jumping with one foot on one back and forth 30 or 40 seconds, then jumping with two feet, then jumping up two sets of bleachers. He would have us go through all this stuff. Now, listen, I've always kind of been built a little like Humpty Dumpty, okay? I've got a big upper body and I've got point guard legs, okay? I don't have very big legs. My legs are very athletic. My upper body's like a lineman. My lower body's like an athlete. It's kind of funny. God made me that way. I'm not complaining, but that's the way I was built. And so after all of these agilities, he would make us run sprints up these bleachers. We would have to run 10. And I'm telling you, every muscle in my legs would be screaming nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, I, it hurt more than anything. I, I'm so glad I 
I don't have to do that. My boys have not experienced that in sports. I don't even know what it did, honestly. It just it felt like death. Well, one of my friends, Greg Tate, he was the starting tackle. We were best friends, and he was a year older than me. And I said, Greg, how, are you, how do you survive these bleachers? And Greg said, well, Ronnie, he said, uh, I don't know if you notice or not, but I only run up about three-quarters of the way, and the fast ones are already coming down, so I just turn around and I skip those last four bleachers, and that's how I'm able to do it. And I thought, man, that's a brilliant idea. I mean, that's brilliance. From an upperclassman to I'm a, I'm a brilliant idea. So I did them like you were supposed to, and we got down to the last four, and I'm cramping, I'm hurting. I said, I'm going to try that piece of advice Greg gave me. Well, Greg didn't tell me that on the last two, they don't cheat. So I cut around and turned around, and I'm the only one. And Bill Price sees me. And I can't repeat what he said. Don't want to here in church, but he screamed his ever-loving head off at me. And he made the whole team run 10 more. I mean, people were snotting and puking and crying. And then we get through this and I thought, all right, other than getting beat up by half the team when we get back to the locker room, I'm finished. No, after the team ran 10 more, he said, all right, now Phillips has 10 more by himself. Friends, I cried, I crawled, I did whatever I could, but it hurt more than anything I can remember in my life. And he got on to me after and talked to me privately. But it taught me never to take a shortcut. Again, every time I want to do something shady or take a shortcut, I remember Coach Price cussing me. And he loved me also. We're still close to this day. But I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. There's an easy road, and there's a narrow road. And if you can stay on the narrow road, there are great blessings in store for you. The decisions you make in the valley will, will determine how long you stay in the valley. If you're still in the valley, perhaps you haven't learned the lessons that God intended for you to learn in the valley. The decisions you make when you feel abandoned or forgotten or neglected will determine how long you stay where you are. We're in 2 Kings chapter 5 today, beginning with verse 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. But this story follows the life of a young man named Gehazi. The name Gehazi in the Hebrew language means valley of vision. Because Gehazi chose a shortcut instead of the path that God had for him. Gehazi chose wealth instead of wisdom. He neglected the process God had put in front of him. He was called to be a prophet. To put it in contemporary language, he was a rising preacher. He had a great mentor. You might have heard of his mentor. His name was Elisha. And Elisha had done great miracles. And Gehazi was coming along under him. 
but he committed the sin of covetousness. What is covetousness? It's when you long after something that God hasn't yet given to you. Covetousness is when you desire something you haven't earned and when you lust after something that's not yours. King David did that to his dear friend Uriah when he lusted after Bathsheba. He, he coveted something that wasn't rightfully his. We oftentimes want what we haven't earned. We want things that other people have earned. We feel like we're entitled to these things. But oftentimes God wants to bless us also, but he wants us to learn some things and grow into the person he's called us to be before he gives us these things because the worst thing you could ever go through is receiving the blessing early when you're not spiritually ready for the blessing. There's a process we all have to go through. Gehazi was an awesome understudy. He saw miracles. He had a destiny, but he was in the valley. One day, a Syrian named Naaman. Naaman was a great general in the army of Ben-Hadad, the Syrian army under King Aram. He was a tremendous general, but he was struck with leprosy. He was so valuable that the king sent him to Elisha to receive healing from this leprosy. He'd gotten wind that miracles were done in that part of the world. And so Naaman comes, and after some struggle, he decides to do what the prophet Elisha has asked him to do, and that is to go into the Jordan and dip down seven times. And when he does this, when he's obedient to the prophet, the Bible says his skin became like a baby's skin. He was healed. This is what the Word of God says. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian. Now, after Naaman was healed miraculously, he had brought silver and wealth and changes of garments, things worth an extraordinary amount of money. And after he was healed of this leprosy, he wanted to bless the prophet with all of this wealth. For whatever reason, Elisha refused the wealth. He said, look, I don't want this I don't want you to feel like you had to buy your miracle. This is for you. I don't want the king's money. I don't want the king's wealth. Makes it very clear. Well, Gehazi sees this, and you can imagine what Gehazi's thinking. My mentor just saved this brother's life. He ought to get something out of it. I mean, he tried to bless him with wealth. Why, I mean, somebody's got to take it. He's probably got all these reasons floating around his head to why they were owed that wealth. But Elisha said no. Well, Gehazi goes after Naaman. Says, look. My master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, 
I, Gehazi, will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? So Naaman sees Gehazi coming after the chariot. He gets off the chariot and says, Hey, how's it going? What's up? What's up? And he said, All is well. My master, Elisha, has sent me. Indeed, just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, absolutely. Look, I'm healed. Please take it. Take the two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. So here we have an offering that was taken under false pretenses. He took that which wasn't his. He took what was God's. He lied about the offering and now he's hiding what he did. That's typically the process of sin. You commit a sin, you're ashamed of it, you lie about what you did, then you have to hide so nobody will find out what you did. It's the cost of sin. Number one, everybody say the cost of sin. Or this could easily be the cost of a shortcut. 2 Kings 5, verse 25, now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha heard from God. He knew what to do. He had a direct line. He healed people. Why Gehazi would think that Elisha wouldn't pick up on what he had done is beyond me. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? Y'all remember, how many of you had a grandmother that could always tell when you was doing something wrong? My grandmother, my dad's mom, even when she got old, could ask me something and I would just start shaking in guilt. And she could warn me about things and she wasn't in my life every day, but she could look at me and tell. Elisha looks at Gehazi and says, hey, where have you been? He says, in response to Elisha, your servant did not go anywhere. I haven't been anywhere. What are you talking about? I haven't been anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. In other words, let me break this down for you. So he didn't receive all of that that Elisha mentioned. He said, is it time for you to receive the abundance that God has for you? In other words, he's saying, hey, God's already promised you all these things if you'll stay faithful. But you got ahead of your time. You wanted what was not yours to take and you took it. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. What can we learn from this sin of Gehazi? 
Well, he made the wrong mistake in the valley. He made a mistake that cost him his health. The valley is a place of development. And when you're in the valley, if you choose the path of the enemy, if you choose the shortcut, if you choose to put your hand on something God has not given to you, it can bring a curse. He took what was God's. He lied about the offering. He hid what he did. Sin in biblical terms is a selfish desire that often leads to shadiness or to a shortcut. It's a, it's a real desire fulfilled in a wrong way. It's when you, the desire is not the sin. It's when you take action on the desire that's on the inside of you and you don't trust God to fulfill your needs and you take the issue into your own hands and you try to help God. I believe with all of my heart the reason we're still fighting in the Middle East is because we have an Ishmael and we have an Isaac. You must understand that when you try to help God, all you're doing is hindering your potential and hindering the destiny that God has for you. What are some consequences of greed? He struck with leprosy. Leprosy was a horrible disease. It was incurable, but also it separated people from the church and from the religious circle. They were outcast. So how many pastors have we seen go from being on the verge or even walking in the blessing and they took a shortcut or they, they did something in the flesh they, they made a mistake. They got ahead of God. They got too big for their own britches, as we would say in the South. And they stepped out, and they thought they could take things that weren't theirs. And then they become outcast, pushed away, cursed, sick even, because in the valley of vision, they chose the easy way. Every person in my life that speaks to me and mentors me, and I believe you need those people in your life as long as you're alive. You always need people in your life to say, hey, getting too big for your britches. Hey, you're missing it here. Hey, come back down to earth. But every person in my life has always warned me about greed. Even non-believers who love me and who love the work I do, but who aren't yet followers of Christ will say, just don't ever make it about money. And I'm not one of those that believes wealth is a sin. Wealth is not a sin. The Bible says God gives you the ability to create wealth. Wealth in and of itself is not greed, and it's not covetousness. It's not a sin. When you take the shortcut to wealth, or you manipulate poor people, or you break the law in the area of money, and you don't do what God's told you to do with your money, that is a sin. That is greed, the love of money. I believe God wants to bless each and every person in this room and watching. 
And I am wanting the blessing of God for my children's children because the Bible says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How can you do that if you're not in position to receive financial blessing? Wealth is not a sin, but just like we talked about last week, when you are in a position and have the ability to help someone and you refuse or you have access to help someone and you refuse, my friend, that is a sin. And your blessing can be taken away from you and you can be cursed if God's blessed you with the talent, the ability, and the access to help people and you chose to hoard it in. What about this recent debacle with the stock market? The whole thing we've discovered is set up for the wealthy to keep big, building bigger barns and the young investor, they can never achieve what they want to achieve because the wealth are buying it up and borrowing it and, and they're manipulating the stock market. Jesus talked to us about that. He said, you, some of you, you keep building bigger barns and storing all your crops in, but your crops are just going to go bad. Why don't you give those to some hungry people? But yet, even in our own stock market, these wealthy people rigging the system so that normal people that work their entire lives can't reap the harvest. But I'm telling you, my God's bigger than all of that. And it will be exposed. I just thank God we finally found something the Democrats and Republicans can agree on. I tell you, but I'm a product of a different government and a different king. And I'm thankful my blessing is not dependent on Wall Street. I serve a government more honest, that's higher, holier than Wall Street ever thought about being. The cost of sin, it'll separate you. Oh, but there's a comeback from sin. Even in the Old Testament, where curses would be placed on people who committed sins against God and his word, even in the midst of an old covenant story, there's new covenant grace. Listen, he's always been a God of restoration and second chances. And we as Christians, we're to be agents of restoration. We're to be about the second chance. And even if you've lost it, even if you've made mistakes in the valley, my God will restore you. My God will bring peace and favor to your life. And it may not have been the path God had for you, but God will get you to where you were supposed to be if you'll come back to him this morning. If you fast forward just a couple of chapters, you'll hear about four leprous men. I believe one was Gehazi. It says in 2 Kings 7, beginning with verse 3, Syrian army has Samaria surrounded. Samaria and Israel were suffering loss and devastation and starvation. And Elisha prophesied in the first two verses that a turnaround would occur in 24 hours, that you'll have enough in 24 hours. And it says there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. Why were they at the entrance of the gate? Because leprous people weren't allowed in the city. They were outcast. And here are these four leprous men. One, I believe, was Gehazi. They said to one another, and this is key. Listen to what they said to one another. 
Why are we sitting here until we die? That is the key statement that will lead to your restoration. That's what the prodigal had to understand in the pig pen. That's what every sinner has to come to is this. How long am I going to sit here and die? How long am I going to sit here in my sin? How long am I going to keep dealing with these same negative people? How long am I going to keep struggling with this same sin over and over and over? How long are we going to sit here? Are we just going to sit here and die? Are we going to do something? Are we going to realize we have breath, we have purpose, we don't have to stop right now? They're on the outside of the gate. But God was stirring something on the inside of them. You can be on the outside of society, but God can stir something on the inside of you that will put you right in the midst of society. God will speak to you no matter where you are. Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we, we shall die. In other words, they had nothing to lose. Have you ever been in a place where you had nothing to lose? I have. God shows up when you have nothing to lose. When you become desperate enough, you will cry out for your healing. You'll cry out for salvation. You'll cry out for a new start. You have to become desperate enough if you truly want God to change your situation. The key is desperation. These four lepers saying, hey, whatever we do, we're probably going to die. We might as well go for it. I have my dear friend Robert Roberts on the front row who hates being called out. That's why I'm going to do it, to embarrass him. But Robert is really my liaison. I don't refer to him as that when in the area of addiction. He's a God-anointed businessman, but he, he has, a, has a calling to help those struggling with addiction. And when I get into a situation on Facebook or text message where somebody's in a struggle, I, 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 Robert helps me. I appreciate it. Pretty appreciate his passion. But Robert has taught me, along with other people in my life, that I can't save people unless they're willing to change. That I can't get them off the dope. They have to want to get off the dope. No matter how much I pray, no matter how much I preach, until they are ready for a change, nothing will change. And I say that to those of you watching, maybe you don't struggle with addiction, but maybe you are in the valley and you're wondering why you're still stuck there. Perhaps it's because God's trying to change something in you. Some behavior, some attitudes, what you say, flesh struggles, whatever it may be. There's something God's wanting to see change in you. This is what it says. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, the army, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. In other words, Elisha spoke the prophetic word. These four lepers decided they were tired of staying at the gate. They were going to die anyways. They were wanting something else out of life. But the word Elisha spoke had caused... The Syrian army to hear horses and chariots like they were being attacked, and they weren't being attacked. 
So they fled their camps. They arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Listen to this. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, their wealth, they left it all because they heard the sound of war that came from the heavens, but no one was attacking them. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also. In other words, they're just throwing a big party. I mean, they're drinking their wine. They're putting on their clothes. They got their gold and silver. I mean, here are four lepers, and they've entered into this camp, and, and all the soldiers are gone, and they were scared initially. But then they realized, hey, we've come into this prosperity and this wealth. Let's party. So they're partying, man. They hid the gold and silver. This is why I believe Gehazi's part of it. Because I think after the party had ended and after they hid the wealth, Gehazi said, am I really about to make the same mistake twice? The reason I have leprosy is because I took what wasn't mine and I hid it. Am I really about to make the same mistake twice and take that which is not mine and hide it? Ah, the value of learning a lesson. Then they said to one another, we are not doing what is right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human inside, only horses and donkeys and tents. And then the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. They know we've been under siege. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. Well, that's not what happened. The king was just being cautious. He thought these four lepers were setting them up for failure, had maybe been bought off, and they were lying. Or they'd left the camp empty, but they were looking from afar. And when they came to seize everything, they were going to attack them. Just using wisdom. The truth is, what happened was God got on the scene. And he brought the victory to God's nation and to Samaria and to his people. But here we see, just a few verses later, Gehazi in the presence of a king. Now, how can you achieve full restoration and be in the presence of the king? Number one, you got to decide to do something. You can't stay at the gate sick and dying. Something in you has to get up, rise up, make a move. Swing the bat. Go for it. Amen? Amen. This church, if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, 
we got to go for it. Go for the gospel. Go for kingdom's sakes. Go for souls. We've got to go for it. We can't sit comfortably in this church until we die. We got to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've got to go make disciples. We've got to go do missions. We've got to be a blessing to our city. We've got to fight evil at every turn. We've got to raise people up in every season with every gift to go into this world and take dominion back from the enemy. We need people serving and flowing in the gift that God has placed on them. Not everybody can do what I do and I can't do what you do, but together, my friend, we can accomplish greatness and we can be that city set on a hill, the church of Jesus Christ. Decide to do something. And once you've made a decision, believe God that he's going to show up. Don't go for it and think it's going to be a failure. Man, I mean go for it. I mean both feet and your mouth. Believe that God's going to do what his word says he would do. And ultimately, we've got to be a blessing to other people. That's what it came down to for those four lepers. Are we going to do what's right with the wealth this time? Are we going to let greed win? Are we going to let covetousness win? Are we going to hold it all in for ourselves? Are we going to distribute it out to the people who need it? I tell you, we could be feeding people every week at this church, and we ought to be. And we will. We will. God's going to bless this place when our priorities are where they need to be. We've got to understand we have a mission greater than that of ourselves. Elisha heard the word of the Lord and prophesied a turnaround, and it came. But later, Gehazi stands whole and healed, listen to me, in the presence of a king. There is no way a leper ever gets one-on-one with the king unless God had healed him. And you go to 2 Kings chapter 7, after everything happens and he finds out the king that Gehazi had been honest with him and the lepers had been honest, he then is in the presence of the king. And this is what it, what it says. It says this. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. You see, in the kingdom of God, especially in church culture, and I've seen this and I want to articulate it as best as, that I know how, so the Lord help me. But sometimes the rebuke, the punishment, even the loss of position was for your own benefit. And in this American church culture, Many sons and daughters in the ministry carry a wound that really they brought on themselves. And they harbor bitterness towards the person that brought about the circumstance. Listen, even though Gehazi was wrong, Elisha cursed him with leprosy. 
And he could have said, I'll forget that guy. He fired me. He pushed me out. Oh, forget him. He turned his back on me over one little mistake. Where's the grace? Uh, It's not what he did. He started testifying to the anointing of Elisha, the greatness of Elisha, what Elisha had meant to him. He, He talks about the woman whose son he'd restored to life. He's sharing with the king all the wonderful things that Elisha did. And it says, and when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Gehazi embraced a new mission. That mission was to help others and to see them come into their harvest. How do you know if you're under the anointing of God and in the midst of his kingdom, when it's no longer about you, when you can celebrate the goodness of God on someone else's life, and you're not trying to grab things in advance for yourself before you're ready to receive them. The valley of vision, the decisions you make in the vision, in the valley of that vision are so paramount I don't want you to miss your moment. I don't want you to delay to delay God's best for your life. So what did Gehazi do? He repented of his sin. What can you do if you've been living in the valley too long? The valley of sin, pride, wealth, greed, covetousness, sin in general. What can you do? Repent of your sin. And the next time, he did right. Are you with me? The next time, he had an opportunity to hoard for himself. He did what was right. How do you know if you're saved? It's not that you're perfect. It's that your character and your mind changes. And when you have an opportunity to do right, you don't repeat the same mess from your past. He repented of his sin. He became a blessing to other people. It was no longer about him. And he gave God the glory and he never dishonored Elisha. He put the needs of others above his own. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting the Lord to bless you. But there is something wrong with taking that which is not yours. And God's called us to be good stewards of everything he's given us. And I challenge you in the area of stewardship, it's all his. And we need to give him what he asks for, and we need to trust him with the rest. You say, Pastor Ronnie, I've messed it up. Let me tell you this, a mess up is a set up to step up and then go up. He's a God of restoration. There's a cost for sin. I'll preach that till I die. But there's a comeback from sin. And then there's a crown of success. 
Some of us will receive our crowns in heaven, crown of righteousness, the martyr's crown. Others of us will receive blessings on this earth. Could be wealth, doesn't have to be wealth. I'm going to tell you, if your child needed a transplant, all the planes and the wealth in the world wouldn't suffice if you needed a new kidney or a new heart or new lungs for your child. Blessing of God's not just wealth, friend. It's being able to hear from him, receive from him, and know how to call down his angels to fight for you. And yeah, he'll bless you with wealth if you'll be a good steward with it and help others. But that may not be your path. Your blessing may be your health and your witness and your legacy and your children's children. But you've got a legacy. But you've got to leave the valley. Make your way to the mountaintop. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm challenging you to make it into the presence of our King. His name is Jesus. Gehazi's story led him back into the presence of a King. God will restore you wherever you are from any sin you've committed. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is not surprised at your struggles, your shortcomings, your setbacks. God, none of that is a surprise to God. But he has created a pathway out of the valley of vision to the mountaintop for you. That pathway is his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a bloody cross for us, fulfilled every Hebrew prophecy, got out up, out of the grave, out and up. After three days, commissioned his church, ascended on high, it's coming back for his church. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. How many of you need the king in your life? Hallelujah, many of you. If you need the king in your life, if you need to be saved, whether you're watching online or in the house, pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. First, repent of your sins. Change your mind about it. Admit that it's a sin, whatever it is. And I'll lead you in this prayer. Abba's house, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Abbas, I'll stand on your feet. Let me pray over you. If you don't want to miss midweek online, watch it online. We're going to talk to you about how the vision came to pass. And next week, I'm going to share the vision for this place and how we go forward. But today, I know that many of you are saved in the house today. A lot of saved people watching online too. But you've been in the valley too long. Come into agreement with me for people to find their way out of the valley today. Hold your hands up. I'm praying for you, but even if you're not in the valley, pray for someone else to be delivered from the valley today, the valley of vision. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to wake people up in the valley, in the pig pen, in defeat, in the far country. Wake them up to your good news, to your kingdom today. Lord, we pray 
that sinners would be drawn to the house of the Lord, that the hurting would be helped, the hungry would be fed, the naked would be clothed, that young people who are statistic, told they'll never amount to anything, would become great champions of the faith and kingdom ambassadors. Lord, raise people up to be missionaries in their neighborhood, in this city and abroad. Lord, teach us all to share our faith, to love people. Lord, may we never be comfortable as a church in the valley. Lord, we submit to the process. We submit to the development that you have for us. We know you have great plans for us. Lord, we don't want to achieve those plans too early before our time. We don't want to grab things that aren't ours. We don't want to act on the flesh. So, Lord, we submit our lives to you as a church. We ask you to lead us by way of your Holy Spirit into righteousness and into the good things you've promised for this house. Lord, I ask you to bless your people today. Bless them in abundance. Heal them. Lord, if there are people struggling with guilt, suicidal thoughts, I bind that in the name of Jesus. It is not time for you to die. You will come out of the valley. God has great plans. Don't give up on your life. It's to somebody today wanting to kill themselves. The devil's a liar. You will end up where God promised you you would end up if you don't quit. Don't quit on God or yourself. Holy Spirit, seal this with the power and the glory. Seal it up and heal people inside and out today.